Vice, episode 107 from the Las Vegas Review Journal, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and with me, as always, the Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon <laughs> legend himself, Lucas Egan. Lucas, how was your weekend? How have you been, my friend? Oh, I am one happy camper. <laughs> I love Pokemon Legend. Okay, I think that game is awesome. It is such a breath of fresh air for that series. Is it a perfect game? No. Are there areas, if they continue the series, that I'd like to see them make some improvements? Yes. But I am having a blast, Ryan. I love this game. I love this game. As a lifelong Pokemon fan, this is just the direction that we have been waiting for for years and to have it finally be here and have it turn out well is amazing. I can't wait. And as a cap off to like their anniversary celebration, couldn't have, couldn't have come up with a better way to do it. It's awesome. It's awesome. Also, you also had you had a birthday as well, didn't you? No, no. So my girlfriend's it has birthday. Not yet. My girlfriend's birthday was the seventeenth. My birthday is next. Okay. On the sixth. So this was okay. an early gift. Okay. though. This was an early birthday gift. We decided. So I am okay with that. My birthday's already been made. That's all I need. <laughs> How was your weekend, Ryan? It was good, man. Uh, I, I actually had time. I had my niece and nephew them over. We went to this place uh, on this trip called uh, Earth Arcadia. It's this AR experience going through, and, and it really focuses on uh, just climate, like uh, climate issues and ways that, that you can help to, uh, you know, bring down and, and, and do good in those respects. It was a really, really cool exhibit. The kids had a blast. I didn't get a ton of gaming in. I've obviously been playing some scum. We are we are less than a month away from Witch Queen coming out. I am so ready for that to happen. But overall, uh, it, it was a it, it was a pretty chill weekend for me. It was nice. Got some cleaning done and stuff like that. Lots of uh, big video game news. But before we get to that, our special guest joining us, composer Richard Jacks, Jacks, sorry, um, is joining us today on LAN Parties. Richard, how are you, my friend? Thank you so much for joining us. Nice to see you guys. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're looking forward to, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Richard, composer for uh, Get, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I am repping uh, the swag that I have. An absolutely phenomenal uh, uh, soundtrack. There's, uh, they, they've been being nominated and winning awards and stuff like that. So we're really excited to talk about that, everything that you've got going on, and, and some of your previous work as well. But obviously, before we get into the meat of things with Richard, we we got to talk about some spicy news, y'all. PlayStation said, clap back. This is my clap back. <laughs> PlayStation goes out of, I, I feel like this was completely out of nowhere, but Sony has officially purchased uh bungee and this is absolutely absolutely huge on their part i know that there's a lot of people that that are like ah whatever it's just one game studio but what do we know about bungee bungee number one they started out the halo series um you know they they they've done destiny and then destiny 2 obviously they know a little something something about mmos multi you know uh these these massive multi-online games and and they do them pretty well. What's really exciting to me is the fact that new IPs, 
the possibility of new IPs and and Bungie working with PlayStation is really exciting to me. However, I felt like this move was a little weird. We know that Bungie originally was with Microsoft. Uh, obviously, they split off from Microsoft. Then they were picked up by Activision. We all know the Activision and and Bungie Bungie days. That was that was rough. Uh, they broke off and said, look, we're independent. We're going to do our thing. And then we get this this uh, uh, Sony buying them. And I, I think as far as with them, and, and here's some of the key takeaways that I got from this. Number one, the first thing that they said, and at least they're saying this now, is that the the, the content is not going to be exclusive. I know there's a lot of people that were worried about that. Uh, one of the big things as far as being a PlayStation owner and with Destiny was the fact that we got, you know, these advanced or not even not even advanced, but like we got certain uh, weapons, certain maps as PlayStation exclusives. So it it, it was really it, it was really polarizing for a, a big chunk of the gaming community to sit there and be like, well, you know, if I had PlayStation, I, I'd be able to have everything. I'm paying for this content, but I'm not getting everything that everybody else is getting. So I think that was a legitimate and is a legitimate concern. Obviously, that was like one of the first things that they addressed. They said that this thing is going to stay cross-platform. They they don't plan on doing any kind of exclusives, at least right now. Uh, we obviously have a roadmap for at least two to three years or at least two years down the road. So we don't know if they'll be singing a different tune here in a couple of years when, when that final DLC releases. So uh, I can understand how, how that would be a little scary for them. Uh, but this is, this is huge. This is Sony also doing this. And now we have within the, the course of what a week and a half, two weeks, two major studios, being being purchased by other major studios uh it's absolutely insane it is absolutely insane what was your take on it lucas yeah it's strange it's becoming a weekly occurrence i mean we probably have to strap <laughs> ourselves in because uh it probably won't be the last and <laughs> so we'll we'll see you know the the conspiracy theory side in me thinks the roadmap to destiny which was two or three years Lines up pretty well with how long uh, Microsoft says more Call of Duties will still be multi-platform. <laughs> so right. I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of a game of chicken here where if, if Microsoft goes, nope, Call of Duty is exclusive, if Sony would turn around and go, well, guess what? Den uh, Destiny is going to be exclusive going forward. Like I could see that kind of being a, a push uh, trying with both companies trying to get one up on each other. Massive mm -hmm. deal. It is nice to know that that at least for now, they're letting Bungie still be multi-platform, you know, still do the projects they want to do and have it get to as wide as, as an audience as possible. Um, mm -hmm. It live in weird worlds that Bungie, you know, the studio that helped build the Xbox is now owned by Sony, whereas, you know, a Call <laughs> of Duty, which has seen its most success on PlayStation recently, is now owned by Xbox. So, like, it's just... We're, we're in a weird world. I'm interested to see, you know, much like we were talking about last week with the mm -hmm. Xbox deal is you just wonder if business decisions will override creative decisions at some point and if, if that will ever lead to a, a backlash. 
Uh, I know we said, I know I said this last week, but similar to, you know, Disney owns everything and, and how there's a little bit of a backlash toward that if we will eventually get to that point with these two companies. And meanwhile, Nintendo is just still off to the side doing their thing, enjoying Shaking the month. Like, <laughs> you guys go. <laughs> but no, it'll be interesting. We live in, in really unique times. And uh, I, I think one of the stories to watch is how will this develop and whether it'll be good or bad uh for the industry and who knows who knows yet yeah it, it, it and and again that is something that only time will tell they did so they made the purchase for 3.6 billion which is sizably less than the money that microsoft uh dropped here last week but this uh, you know i i like seeing i personally obviously uh being a playstation and and again i'm all about the games i don't care where i play them how i play them i just want to be able to play them uh, but but I've I've always owned PlayStation and you guys, if you know me, I absolutely love Destiny. So for me, this is a match made in heaven. But I, I am I'm I'm I'm. I'm in the side of other people and, and kind of like you're, you're saying here, Lucas, um, I hope this doesn't turn into some sort of chicken fight where it's, well, I'm going to pull this if, and, and I don't think that's the way that, that Microsoft is going anyway. You know, they've been very much embracing the openness of cross platform, cross play, everybody being able to play and, and getting into their ecosystem. Whereas we've seen that Sony has always been resistant to this and and only more recently have they started opening up to to being able to do cross platform cross play at least with particular games but we also know too that Sony one of their big their big reasons to get a PlayStation is because they have those exclusives mm-hmm. so you know it it's I, it's hard to say, but what's more exciting to me, you know, again, with a lot of this is just the possibilities that may come in the future. What, what do they have in their back pocket that they can then start working on or even, you know, moving some of these bungee people over and having them help out on some of these other projects. That's got me really excited, but hopefully that's not at the cost of something like destiny uh, Two you know, and, and the work and everything that's going, going on as far as with that, because they've obviously got big plans, uh, with destiny. There's a lot of changes coming within the witch queen, uh, such as crafting and, and things of that nature. So I'm loving where they're going with destiny too. It is starting to feel more and more, uh, it's getting more and more of that MMO feel, with the story and the lore being baked in them, you know, experimenting a little bit and doing uh, uh, live events. So I think the possibilities like they're saying are, are, are pretty endless here. And and I did want to state as well that uh, in their statement, they also said that Bungie, Bungie, this is representatives from Bungie uh, stated that they will be, um, uh, holding on to creative freedom. So they, you know, Sony won't have any kind of say, I'll say that in air quotes uh, in what they're putting out uh, and, and all that the creativity will be left to the bungee team. So this is, this is huge news. This is Sony and and their clap back to, to what Microsoft did. So these are exciting times. It's crazy though. Everybody next thing you know, who's going to get gobbled up next? Who's going to get gobbled up next? EA rockstar. I don't know. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> Richard, obviously you're a veteran in the in the video game space and you've seen it kind of evolve and change through the years. Uh, do you do you like I mean, are you excited when, when you see, you know, the directions that, that the gaming industry has been headed and, and seeing what new opportunities kind of might come from some of these partnerships? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, one important factor is that the game development studios sort of retain some kind of autonomy because what I've seen over my career is that when some companies get swallowed up by a huge publisher or a huge entertainment company, um, if they're not given their creative freedom, they, you know, you can't take the core DNA out of the game development studio without it changing drastically. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been some sort of poor examples of that in the past where that hasn't quite worked out. But I think, you know, Microsoft and, and Sony themselves, they've got some really smart people at the top that have been in games for, for decades. They get this. And I think with both of these deals, um, it's going to be important for them to realize that. And, and I'm sure they will. And, you know, like you just said about Bungie retaining creative control, that's, that's essential. But I think they will definitely benefit from having the all the backup from a major major publisher um to give them that support and i think it's a win-win for gamers across the board yeah i agree 100 i can't you know i i don't see this is huge for bunny being able to have that that access to that capital and be able to put that not only into into what they're doing in destiny 2 but then of course future ips that that can be potentially already in the works so it's really exciting that's another huge and we'll see well lucas you also uh uh you did a twitter poll about this as well right i did i did uh pretty pretty evenly split obviously the the i asked whether it was people thought it was good or bad for the gaming industry obviously the the wait and see won out um Probably not yep. a surprise there. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of good good that can come from this deal. Um, and mm-hmm. if any, if nothing else, if this can give studio stability, you know, I'm all for that. Obviously, people, uh, it's been well documented that in the past, studios have had uh, roller coaster rides, and, and so if you can stabilize that, you know, and get people steady jobs that they can count on you know that takes a lot of the stress out which i think just helps the creative juices even more when you can kind of take out some of that external pressure so hopefully that just leads to good things yeah i agree and real quick i just wanted to rochelle rochelle says if they mess with my access to destiny i will riot <laughs> salvador says unsure to be honest just found out actually though it is uh though it is another big company buying out a big studio but i suppose this could be good for bungie uh, i agree with that salvador um I think it's smart to keep Destiny. This is Kenneth Fox. I think it's smart to keep Destiny on all platforms and then have them making an exclusive as well. Exactly. And and I, I think that's the smart move right there. Kind of the same with uh, Call of Duty. It's like, look, man, it's already out there to the people. If you want to do an exclusive, have them work on something else or let it be something else that's not going to be so polarizing to be like, you know, hey, you have access, and then one day you don't have access. No, it, it, that that's never going to fare well. So, uh, uh, thanks for the comments, guys, and and replying on that as well. Uh, moving on to a little more Sony mo- uh, news. Sony moves. Apparently, I I cannot speak today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this here. I want to say I, I can't remember at some point in time last year uh, they were talking about making Discord available on PlayStation, which is huge. Uh, if 
anybody is a console uh, uh, player or somebody that plays on PlayStation, especially nowadays, uh, a lot more people are are more apt to use Discord uh, as opposed to just using in-game chat. That way you have a little more control. It's a little more of a safer environment to be able to uh, uh, speak and, and chat with your friends. But they have finally launched uh, Discord on PlayStation. It is live now today. I don't know. And I'm talking about in the, in the U.S. Uh, specifically. So you should be able to see these settings now in there and connect your PlayStation Network account to uh to uh discord i have not had a chance yet to experiment and try this out i'm absolutely going to though that's one of the big pains about playing multiplayer games on my playstation is the fact that a lot of the times you know my friends are are in discord or or something like that and i'm playing a cross play game and i can't talk with them or i have to have my phone up mm-hmm. with discord and you know have it have have half my half my headphone <laughs> off and have it you know somehow figure out how i'm going to do this uh but this is a great integration and we know that you know uh, discord has been huge as far as especially not only in the gaming community but especially in the gaming community in and being able to build a community a place for people to congregate having your own server there's all kinds of tools and and things i i, I absolutely love discord uh, so this this is this to me makes sense. I'm glad that they opened this up and and uh, made it so it connects uh, to people. Is this something that you could see yourself using? Yeah, definitely. I think the, right, the Lucas, control I, part. To your name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I do see myself using it. The control part uh, is is really appealing. You know, I I'm I'm one of those where. Uh, I, I don't usually use voice chat in games just because it's such a grab bag on, on whether you get somebody that's uh, pleasant to talk with or not. <laughs> and so like like you were saying, Ryan, so many people use Discord already. And especially if you're playing a cross-platform game, this just makes it easier to talk to who you want to talk to. Uh, and I imagine, too, if, if you're worried about a, a, a kid or something like that, this is easier for them to have like approved lists uh, of people they can talk to, uh, you know, go on their specific servers and not have to take a little bit of, of chance out of the voice chat thing, which is always iffy for me. So I'm d- mm-hmm. it's about time that this has been integrated. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Richard, is this something, do you use Discord at all? Um, I do a little bit, yeah, just to sort mm-hmm. of keep in touch with the community and other gamers and, and also other composers and musicians as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a very forward-thinking thing that Sony are doing by putting it onto the PlayStation platform. And, and like Lucas said, it's good for sort of young people and security and having a safe environment and things like that. So I think it's something that I'll be interested in looking at, and I hope other platform holders will follow suit. Yeah, I agree. And I think we will see more of that, just just these these ways and these communication tools and other tools to be able to connect people. And, and, you know, people are already using them. It makes sense then to integrate it directly into into uh, uh, the consoles. And I'm sure it's going to be we'll start seeing them in, in other things, too, because it is a legitimate communication way to communicate with people. It's got video chat. Again, like I said, the best part to me is that you can make your own server and it could be anything that you want it to be. You can, you know. Uh, I've been in, I'm in so many discords. It's absolutely ridiculous. I have a hard time looking at it because of all the notifications. <laughs> I have got a problem, y'all. But, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is. I, I love seeing this. And again, too, I think this is this kind of speaks again to Sony opening up to more and more companies and being able to give more accessibility to 
PlayStation users to be able to communicate and play um, the way that they want to and and still keeping people in in that in the PlayStation realm. Um, this is, this is huge. And, and again, PlayStation, everybody, I feel like all the co- the big companies are just making the moves. They're making all the right moves. And it's so exciting seeing all this stuff come together and, and just the, the sheer popularity uh, of, of games and, and how much more it's in the spotlight from composing music to programming, to building communities for, you know, uh, um, Folks with uh, uh, disabilities, it is, it is amazing, and it's bringing so many communities together. This is another way then for for folks that are that are only on PlayStation then to be able to communicate with their friends that are on PC. They'll have no trouble playing crossplay games with them now uh, because they're not going to feel like, oh, you know, I've got this bootleg set up so I can hear in game, talk to people in game, but then also talk to people in Discord. So this is a smart move. We knew it was coming. Uh, check online. I think if you if you are a PlayStation owner, you should see uh, something. I don't know if it's in Discord or if it's on the PlayStation side, but there should be something to be able to then connect your uh, PlayStation account and you'll have access. I'm going to actually do that and try that out uh, here after the show because I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this. This makes me want to because there's certain games that, that I only, you know, I even though I have PC um and stuff like that. Uh, there's certain games that I get specifically that I like and enjoy playing on PlayStation. So I always get them on PlayStation. So this is this is huge, and and that gives me even more reason to be like, all right, cool, I can get this game, and I'll still be able to communicate with my friends. I'm not going to be that that redheaded stepchild off to the side, uh, you know, being like, hey guys, somebody talk to me. <laughs> anyway, PlayStation making the moves, they are doing things. Uh, let's take a quick commercial break. We're coming back. Speaking with Richard, all the music. We'll be right back, guys. If you love listening to us here on Land Parties, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team or game, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com join. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to the short messages. And now comes the fun part of the show. And Richard, of course, we got to start with Guardians of the Galaxy. And, you know, what, what I find interesting is 
obviously the, the MCU has introduced these characters to to a whole host of people that didn't know them before. But unlike I think a lot of of those films, the the music to the film w- was part of the draw or became part of their DNA. So when you came and you approached the game. Did, did that make it more challenging to kind of help this game find its own unique voice and, and finding the right tone to what you guys were doing? Um, not really, because um, Marvel games um, were so great to work with that they basically said to the team at Idos Montreal who developed the game, you know, they, they really um, supported them and their own vision, making their own Guardians of the Galaxy experience, you know, their, their mm-hmm. own universe for the game. So whilst, of course, there are other Guardians um, media out there, like you said, MCU and the comics, etc. The entire development team took a real big deep dive into the whole lore of the Guardians themselves, and then created their own universe for the game. So, in a way, it's it sort of stands on its own. It's quite quite unique in the sense that it's not trying to be um, something else from another media. Um, it's it's actually just using the characters, creating a brand new original story. So with regards to the music and the take on the music, you know, we, we knew that we wanted to have um, some licensed tracks in there because that is part of the, the DNA of the Guardians of the Galaxy in, the, in mm-hmm. a musical sense. Um, mm-hmm. And as the game takes place, mostly um, there's, there's 80s reference rather than 70s. So we've got a lot of 80s tracks in there. We knew we wanted to have a big epic orchestral score. Um, and then we've got an original hard rock album within the game as well. You know, speaking to that licensed music, <clears throat> obviously you're right. It is part of their DNA. As a composer, when you have to weave in licensed music and kind of create moments to to have the the score uh, kind of flow in and out naturally, is is that how, how unique of a challenge was that to to know that you were working in licensed music? Um, it's pretty unique in the sense that we really took um, a great deal of care to make sure it was a very smooth transition between score and licensed track. And uh, the senior audio director at Idos Montreal, Steve Shapkowski, I worked really, really closely with him. Um, and he was selecting the tracks, um, working with Randy Eckhart of Eckhart Consulting, who helped us get all those tracks licensed. Um, and what was funny is, like, as we were going through the development, one minute we had a certain track here, and then it would move into a different part of the game, and then there was another new track. So in a way, I was constantly fighting fires. You know, I'd been writing a cue from the score and then coming out, fading into the next track and then that track would change so I had to change the ending <laughs> it, it, it was a constantly moving beast if you see what I mean but I think um I think in terms of the results we're really happy because once they were fixed in the right places in the game and I knew that I, I knew that the transition was very smooth it, it does give a um a really sort of memorable and and um you know, smooth experience for the for the player where you go smoothly from a piece of score into a licensed track, and we we definitely achieve what we set out to do. So, well, and and let me ask too, because I thought this was really really unique about the game was that they, it came incorporated with a streamer mode. Obviously, with a lot of licensed music, and if you're streaming the content, uh, you're going to run into issues there. So, I thought number one, the fact that that they had the foresight to build that out into the game uh, was was absolutely brilliant. But let me ask you, was it almost like, as far as with that, what did that process look like? Was it like having to write this, you know, you're, you're writing for, for the game and then going back and rewriting for this particular mode or, or take us through that process? Um, well, I knew that the streaming mode was going to be in the game quite early on in its development. And I agree completely with you. It's, it's a fantastic feature because some people just love to stream their games and mm-hmm. we couldn't be 
we shouldn't be a hindrance to that. But also at the same time, because licensed tracks are a part of the Guardians franchise, we wanted to have that as well. So having the option to choose between whether you want to stream those tracks or not, I think is very forward thinking. And I think um, it gets around any issues or problems. And it means, you know, whether you want a, a gaming experience with those tracks and you can sit in your house and play through the whole game or you want to stream it live, um, you have the option to do both. So I think it's a really good idea that that feature is in the game. Um, and all credit to Idos Montreal for doing that. That's something I wasn't involved in myself. But I think from my point of view, again, it was a bit like the transitioning to the licensed tracks and how's that going to work if there's no licensed tracks because they're in streamer mode. Um, in actual fact, it didn't make too much um, difference to me. Uh, once we got into the development, um, my tracks sort of stayed as they were so that the, mm -hmm. you know, if anyone is streaming, they can have the score on and the style or band tracks. Um, so it, it didn't make too much of a difference, but I thought it was a really great idea that they um, included it and I'm sure other games will follow suit as well. Was, was there a moment that was most challenging for you to score and, and kind of get right? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> probably quite a few. I, I would say, I mean, I'm sure you guys know the game. The, you know, it's an action-adventure game with a big story and the game has a big heart. Um, so you have all the challenging combat moments, so a lot of big epic orchestral choirs, things like that. But then there is also quite a few poignant moments, and I won't release any spoilers in case fans haven't had a chance to pick it up yet but um getting the tone right um like you said lucas it's it was interesting to go through those poignant moments to actually get the emotion right for the player because the story is so good that the narrative is amazing and, and the voice actors i you know i take my hat off to them and to the narrative team for creating such a great story and you know it makes my job a lot easier to having such a great cast and, and dialogue to work with but um i think d doing those more poignant moments when i was scoring those it's a total change of tone from the big bombastic action sections or flying inside the milano or exploring you know we've got these more poignant moments so getting those right we you know we we started that quite early on and then um we were able to iterate uh, um from then on yeah you know it, it's interesting because you know i think when people think of the guardians they think of like fun and and action-packed and and all that when you are scoring some of those more emotional moments how do you how do you know that you you found that balance that that makes it still fit uh feeling-wise and musically-wise to what we've heard throughout in some of the more energetic moments, but also is that change of pace? Is, is that something that you need to kind of step back from and come back to, or, or how did you know that you had it? Um, well, the first thing was to get the the main theme for the game, which we, mm -hmm. we just nicknamed the hero theme. And <laughs> like you quite rightly said, the Guardians, you know, it's, it's fun, it's energetic, you know, it's they're a, a bunch of misfits. Um, they have a sense of kind of family and belonging together, but they're always bickering and arguing. So when I create the main theme for the game, I wanted to make sure all those elements were, were in that main theme. Um, and that's the first piece of music I wrote. So that actually provides me with the kind of core material that I can pick from for the, from these other moments. So in the more poignant moments, you do actually get hints of the main theme, but in a in a completely different setting and in a, in a much more emotional setting. Um, so it was a question of creating the main theme for the Guardians themselves um, early on in the process and then iterating upon that so that when we do get these moments, I can draw from that and, you know, 
hint to the main theme or do a slight recreation of it, but in a different style. Things like that um, helps tie everything together and make a cohesive um, you know, underscore to, to the narrative. Yeah, and and I've, uh, this game was absolutely amazing. I'm not going to lie. I actually like this version of the Guardians of the Galaxy better than the MCU version. They went so much more in depth within the characters, and it wasn't just all like you're like you're saying. It's not just about those fun moments, but there's there there's there are also serious characters that have you know they've had things throughout their life. There are a bunch of misfits that haven't had the best luck of the draw, and they've come together to become these heroes. Uh, you know. I'm wondering, from your guys' standpoint, number one, did you did you guys take any inspiration from the MCU uh, uh, storylines or or anything that they've worked on, or was it just taking this story and and what was created this completely separate with the with these characters that we know and and it was building off of that story? Well, I think it was a question of work. You know, the close re- working relationship between Marvel Games and Idos Montreal um, mm-hmm. started the whole process off and. Although I wasn't on board quite at that time, I believe that, um, you know, Bill Roseman from Marvel Games worked with Dan Abnett, who has been written some of the Marvel comics, uh, some of the Guardians comics, and they just took every ounce of inspiration from every piece of Guardians lore that you can possibly um, have access to. Um, I don't think there was any specific references um, story-wise to the to the MCU or the comics. It's, it's a story in, in its own right, and it fits within the universe of, of our Guardians experience. Um, but I know that was a big part of the pre-production process. Um, and I, you know, I'm amazed at how how deep the story is, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was working on this game for nearly four years, and I'm on my fifth playthrough, and I know the game backwards, but I just find it very as a gamer I'm you know I know I'm biased but putting my gamer hat on for a minute I find it very (laughs) engaging and the way the story plays out and and it's such a uh, believable story it's so um, so rich in like you said you know the characters have this you know they all have this backstory they all have um, you know they've all had a sense of loss in their in their past and again I won't give anything too much away but I think that gives them so much weight to the characters and, and I agree that, that Idas Montreal did an excellent job and spent a lot of time building those characters and I, I feel that I know them better than um, than other forms of them. Can you take me back to when you got the the Guardians job what was that process like and and what was that feeling like and and to now have that game be released to such widespread acclaim after like you said four years of work what is this like this moment like for you oh it's um it's indescribable but i would but i would try and describe it <laughs> um, so i was contacted by idas montreal back in 2017 mm-hmm. um to demo for the project um steve Shukowski, the senior audio director there he had heard some of my music from i think it was from both mass effect and james bond bloodstone um that i'd you know, games I've worked on in the past. So, you know, obviously we've got the sci-fi element there for Mass Effect and the action element there from, from James Bond. And that shows the kind of styles that I write and that I that I enjoy and that I think would be good. Um, so I wrote some a few pieces of music to, to show my vision for The Guardians. And um, Steve was ab- absolutely awesome because we were totally on the same page from right from the beginning, um, both in sense of, you know, we need an epic orchestral score. It's It's... You know, it's action adventure, but it's in space and it's fantasy as well. And it's got a llama in and it's crazy and all these kind of things. <laughs> but, you know, um, it just gave us, a you know, a, a quite a blank page, really. So after spending about a month 
sort of write, you know, pre-production writing some test pieces. And again, the hero theme was the Guardian's main theme is the first thing I wrote, mm-hmm. um, and that made it into the game in its entirety unchanged. So that was that was really good that that was well received. Um, and then after that, I went over to Montreal to spend some time with the team at IDOS and uh, got to meet all the all the leads um, from the different departments. So narrative, uh, game design, combat design, cinematics, audio, marketing, etc. And that was really good. I had I had this huge brain dump every day. You know, I was kind of I went back to my hotel and just scribbling stuff down and on the laptop and notes here and there, just to sort of uh, engross myself in that. And when I'm starting a new project, I really just want to absorb um, as much material as available, whether it's concept artwork or scripts or even just very rough sketches of characters. Whatever is available, I like to kind of just really engross myself in that. And um, then we got started on the actual composition. So that was back in 2018, I think, around February. Um, And then it's just been full on ever since. Uh, There's a huge amount of music in the game, more than I've ever composed for a single project. Uh, Nearly six hours of score, plus we've got all the licensed tracks and the Starlord band as well. So, yeah, the music has in total in the game is about eight hours, which is a a huge offering that that not many games, to my knowledge, has quite that much. So... um, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of work. Very, very busy, um, but great fun. Uh, the last, you know, obviously uh, the lockdown was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID threw various curveballs for us all throughout the world. Um, so I was working in my home studio for a couple of months because here in my main studio was closed. So that was a bit of a challenge. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, a great, a great ride. And then right up until last summer, um, so June 2021, we were at the studio at Abbey Road recording, uh, recording all the orchestra. And then the game released in October. Um, I was absolutely delighted with the reception because it's one of those games that you kind of have to really play. And I know that sounds obvious, but you only get so much from trailers or gameplay trailers, etc., etc. And it's quite unique in the sense that it does have this this humour element as well. And you've got to really pick up the joypad and get involved with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was absolutely delighted with the um, the way that the game was received. And, and there's been some great comments about the music. So, you know, to answer your question, I couldn't couldn't be happier. And it's it's a really satisfying process to go through, you know, doing crazy hours. For, and, and the entire team, they, you know, hats off to Idos Montreal. They really, really went for it on this game. And I think they, they definitely delivered. So it's, it's fantastic to be a part of that team. Uh, I, was, I just wanted to ask real quick, you know, now that you've you've gotten your playthroughs in and and you know we're we're past release date and everything, just just kind of in in retrospect and looking back, is there anything that you would maybe change or look at possibly revising if you had the opportunity? Um, not really. I mean, the, the some of the recording sessions were quite challenging because of social distancing, so. You know that that threw up um, some challenges in the production process. In terms of the creative, um, no, not really. We we kind of set out to achieve what what we did, and um, it, you know we planned it carefully and how the score was going to integrate uh, with the licensed tracks and with the Starlord album. Um, and I'm very happy with all the themes. I think they came through pretty strongly for all the different characters. Um, yeah, I mean another. Another couple of months would always be nice, but it, it, it always is <laughs> on these kind of big projects. But um, no, I think um, I think it went really, really well, and I'm I'm pleased with it. There's there's nothing I would particularly want to change. Um, 
uh, and I'm usually, you know, my my um, my worst critic when I'm playing through a game on on the release date for the first time in the in the box copy, and I think, oh, I should <laughs> do that. But no, I'm really, you know, I'm I'm genuinely loving the game as a gamer, and um, yeah, just thrilled to be a be a part of the process. And um, yeah, it was a, it was an awesome experience. If I could touch on something you mentioned before, uh, when you talked about sometimes there'd be a certain song that was supposed to be in this in one spot and then it got changed for whatever reason was that was that because they were moving story beats to uh, uh either earlier or later in in the storyline or was that just they wanted a completely different song uh for for whatever reason they had yeah i i don't think it was to do with the story beats um they remained uh where they are in the game I, as far as i know um obviously when Steve went with this big shopping list of all these tracks, you know, mm-hmm. we want this, we want that, you know, some, for whatever reason, sometimes the artist or the band or the, the record label don't want to be involved and that's cool. But so a few may change, but you know, once you get a few on board and people know what the project is, they're like, Oh yeah, I yeah. want to be involved in that. Um, I think when tracks move, it was more about um, lyrically. So what a lot of people may not realize is the the title of the licensed track and, and for that matter, the Star-Lord tracks, but, but the title and some of the lyrics are really carefully chosen, and this is credit to Steve Shukowski, that um, where they actually fit into a specific part of the game um, is directly related to the story beat at that time. So although the story beats didn't move, I think Steve probably felt that moving some of the tracks around was a better fit for that particular story beat. Okay. Um, so again, not giving any spoilers away, but if you, you know, if you know the name of the song or you, maybe the, the the lyric in the chorus, it, you know, it could be either of those two. They are there, very carefully chosen for that particular story beat within the within the game itself. So uh, yeah, there's a big correlation between the two um, working there. Was there one licensed song that was the hardest to transition into or out of? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good question because some are actually really easy. Um, like there's a at the end of uh, chapter one. Um, the quarantine zone. Uh, we are flying in the Milano, and we transition from my score into um, Iran by Flock of Seagulls, and that's mm-hmm. quite a transition. Um, the classic Rick roll. Um, <laughs> that's actually quite hard because that's a very sudden intro, and without getting into musical terminology, it kind of moves around in the in the chords and stuff. So that. That's not particularly easy, but again, that that takes place during um during a huddle sequence and um within within combat, so it didn't matter too much. But you know, some of these tracks from the eighties, you know, they're recorded onto analog tape, and the pitch might be slightly different to digital uh, recording systems that we use now. So there was one, I think it was Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which is played during a cinematic sequence in Peter Quill's house, and. I wanted to make a really smooth transition. So you're coming out of that track into the score mm-hmm. and the first four bars or something of the score actually echoes the chorus, but on the French horn with the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, but we realised the pitch was very slightly out, so we just had to correct it a bit so that it was very smooth. So, yeah, quite a lot of interesting um, things came uh, came my way, but, uh, you know, we always wanted to solve them and get that get that smooth experience for the player. Nice. It, let, let's switch gears real quick. I know that, uh, you know, last year, uh, Mass Effect 
uh, trilogy came out, and we were talking before the show and, and how you're playing it. Uh, obviously, uh, you worked on the music for the original Mass Effect. Uh, take us, take take us there. Take us back now that you're playing it. And just hearing that, reliving uh, those experiences. Uh, you know, what are your what are your what are your thoughts? How how are your feelings as you're kind of replaying and 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 re getting into that uh, world? Well, I mean, Mass Effect was one of the uh certainly one of my favorite projects um outside of guardians of the galaxy but uh yeah mass effect was a long time ago so i worked on just the first game mass effect one um mm-hmm. along with three of my composer colleagues jack wall sam hulick and david cates so there were four of us working on it closely with bioware um and it would have been around if memory serves me correctly around 2007 i'm guessing yes 2007 um, yep and again, that's a huge game with a huge amount of dialogue choices. And when we first saw the choice wheel, you know, we knew that there could be, I mean, I think some of the choices are up to six choices that, that the player can make. And that means mm-hmm. the dialogue flies off in loads of different areas, which a lot of them are custom scored with, you know, the right piece of music to fit the mood. Um, so the first time I saw that it was being re-released, I had this not not kind of nightmare realization, but I just remember those <laughs> choice and it's like, oh man, six six choices, and then another six choices. And, um, <laughs> but what was what was funny is that when I was doing Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, the player has choices as well, so I knew exactly what to do, and it you know it was great work on Mass Effect because that 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 kind of pro- process that I've been through also comes up in Guardians. Um, mm-hmm. But as a gamer, yeah, I mean, I love the trilogy of, of Mass Effect. I think it's one of um, gaming's greatest trilogies, in, in my opinion, as a gamer. And when they, when I saw they were uh, remastering it for, for next-gen consoles, I, I couldn't wait to get my hands on it because I've got a PS5 and an Xbox Series X. And, um, you know, they put a, they, you know, they really put a lot of love into the into the Legendary Edition. I, I think some, some remasters, uh, you know, can be just, um, a translation, if you will, for another mm-hmm. console. But this one, you know, the artwork and things were polished, and graphically it looks amazing. Um, so I'm, I've just finished Mass Effect One, and I'll, I'll be doing two and three very soon. But it, it brought back some fantastic feelings just being back in that world with those characters. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a real warm kind of sense of um, belonging, if you see what I mean. It's really nice to uh, to experience that again. You know, as as a composer, when you enter a project like Mass Effect, where you get to help create the DNA of that series uh, and and leave some some imprints, as opposed to a project like Guardians that has history, what are some of the different challenges uh, in terms of establishing the musical universe as opposed to coming into one where there are some maybe preset expectations ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, I think um, with Mass Effect being completely original, you know, Mass Effect 1, this was a brand new franchise, brand new characters, story. It gave myself and the other three composers musically a sort of carte blanche. And we were all working closely with Casey Hudson, the project director, who who had a vision for how he wanted the music to sound. It, It was us, it was up to us to sort of translate that. And I think when you get these iconic moments that once the game's released, become even more iconic, if you see what I mean. So there are some certain set pieces in Mass Effect 1 that, that I scored. For example, the first time you fly into the Citadel um, on the Normandy, um, mm-hmm. and the first time you see the Citadel sort of poking through the clouds and you get this um, cinematic sequence. Mm-hmm. And that's something I scored. And 
I knew that graphically it was outstanding. You know, the guys at Bioware did such an outstanding job. But but when I scored, I had no real sense of um, how big that scene would be because it's become quite iconic. You know, it's the first time you see the Citadel and you get this huge sense of scale and, and scope of how big this space station is. And just sort of composing to highlight that and enhance that um, was an absolute pleasure. And I've had lots of... Uh, you know, DMs from from many fans of the game that they love that scene. So, in a way, you kind of don't know how iconic something is going to become because there's it's a huge team effort with all the writers and the programmers and the game designers and the artists. But then, when creatively something really gels together and then it releases to to great um, you know for, to, to massive effect, if you see what I mean. Then, uh, <laughs> then, um, you know, and and it sells well, and the gamers love it, and they're all talking about it, and they're wanting sequels, etc. Then it's 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 a bit of luck and a bit of being fortunate to become part of a, a talented um, team of of game developers. And um, again, it was the same with Guardians as well. And obviously, you know, as if you as if two massive franchises were enough, your work on James Bond, obviously another iconic franchise. There, what? Can you talk about how you got that? What was it like to to work on another series that that once again, you know, music is a, is a big part of of people's association with that series? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I've been playing various. There's been so many great James Bond games in the past. You know, everyone talks about Goldeneye, which I was playing on the N64. Ago, <laughs> yes. whenever it was, probably more. Um, but you know, I'm a huge fan of the Bond franchise, the films, etc. Um, I think it was interesting for me because. When I was studying, I mean, I'm actually a, a trombone player by trade. So, you know, John Barry, the master who sort of created the uh, the sound of James Bond, um, again, he used a, a lot of brass instruments and it was a combination of sort of influences from jazz and symphonic music. And he kind of molded that together and, and created that that iconic sound that we, we know and love today. Um, and then you had other great composers work on the franchise, for example, David Arnold, even Hans Zimmer's just done the recent film. Um, so there's an established sound if you like um but i was able to work within that um so i wasn't given any um particular things i needed to hit but it had to sound like bond you know you can't mm-hmm. stick a, a country score in bond you know and i love having i love my scores to be very energetic you know i'm a huge fan of action movies and games and i like putting that energy into the scores so Working on a franchise like James Bond was just a dream come true that I could do that. Um, I actually got the project by being approached by the game developer, um, Bizarre Creations at the time. And there are a few other composers, I think, writing some demo material as well. But I actually know all of the musicians that play on the the movie soundtracks. They're all friends of mine because, as I said, I'm a, I'm a trombone player. So mm-hmm. I just got, got all the guys in and we went to Abbey Road and recorded it. And I sort of presented it and said, look, this is, this is how you do Bond. And they, um, yeah, they yeah, loved it. So, uh, again, another great, great franchise to work on. And, um, yeah, pleasure to be a part of it, really. I love it. it. Let me ask, is there any franchise, if you had the choice of working on any franchise, is there uh, is there one in particular that you would love to work on? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, well, probably two. Definitely one. I mean, I'm a huge Elder Scrolls fan. Ooh. And I love I love RPGs and I've never, I mean, with the exception of Mass Effect, which is sort of slightly different, I would love to just work on a sort of open world fantasy game because 
you get to write lots of different kinds of music than I would on a on a big action game. So, um, mm. you know, if Bethesda's listening, uh, call my agent. <laughs> when you I, mean, do- I just love their games. They're, su- they're such brilliant games. And as a gamer, I, I spend so many hours on them. And I'm looking to looking forward to hearing um, what my friend and colleague Enon Zur is going to be doing yes. on the, uh, the Starfield. So, um, yeah, uh, any, any any kind of RPG I would love to do. I really would, genuinely. When you score that epic RPG and you start cleaning house at the awards, just remember this moment that it started here. <laughs> okay, that's, that's the deal. I, I will make sure you come to the award ceremony with me. <laughs> that you know, is awesome. I, I wanted to ask real quick: was was composing always in the cards for you? Was that something that you, the direction you always kind of wanted to take your music career? Yeah, in a, in a way it was, but I didn't really realize it at the time. Um, I mean, I've been a gamer since I was a kid in the arcades, on home computers and consoles, etc. And my parents are both music teachers, so I've been learning music since I was like five years old, learning the piano and then trombone and then percussion and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then when I started sort of making music using computers and technology and and composing myself, which was probably around the age of about 11, um, I just found myself doing it all the time, literally every waking hour I had that I wasn't at school um, and weekends, etc. And then I think when I was doing my music degree at university, um, you know, I was going to lectures and doing the whole studying thing. And then we had a Sega console in a, in a house with some, some friends of mine. So we always playing games. Um, and it was, I didn't, in those days, we're going back to the sort of early, early to mid nineties. I, I sort of assumed that because most of the consoles, so it was, it was the Sega Nintendo era mm-hmm. mostly. And I kind of assumed that all the music was done in Japan. And, and to be honest, a lot of it was in those days before game development came into the West and, you know, in Europe and the US, etc. cetera. Um, and then it was a bit by chance that uh, I actually saw a job uh, for an in-house video game composer at Sega back in the early to mid-90s, and that's how I started my career as an in-house composer. So it was something I hadn't thought of video games directly because I didn't know those kind of opportunities existed back in the day. But, yeah, I'd always wanted to, to, to write and to compose my own music since since I was pretty young. So it was it was an absolute, you know, it was the perfect marriage, the perfect combination for me, and I, you know, haven't looked back since. When when did you see that ad? Did you see in the nineties? Yeah, it would have been May ninety four, um, okay. and there was a series of interview processes. There were three hundred applicants for the job, and I went through the process, and then I got got offered the job, and then I finished my degree at university, studying music on a Friday, moved up to London on the Saturday, and started at Sega on the Monday. Oh my goodness! Wow. What, what was the first project they had you work on? Um, it was a Sega Saturn game of it was called Shinobi X, or in the US it's called Shinobi. Yeah, X. So, mm-hmm. uh, another classic Sega franchise, um, which was great to do. And uh, yeah, that was the first first project I worked on. Do you think that if you hadn't seen that ad, do you think you still would have wound up into video games, or do you think you might have been doing some? some wildly different scoring here. Um, I think I would have still ended up doing it because it combines my two loves of composing and video games. So I think it would have just had to be <laughs> a matter of time, really. But um, I was fortunate that it was it was the sort of right place, right time situation. I was, I was fortunate in that respect. But I'm pretty sure I would have ended up doing it regardless. Because um, nice. for, for me, this, this is just, you know, it's... it's just amazing that you know, I feel very, very fortunate that I'm able to do this, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that I 
work with such talented game developers and then I get to play the games as well. So what, what's not to like? Exactly. Love it. Richard, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. What do you got going on uh, this year? Where can people contact you, find you, or uh, find you, find <laughs> your stuff? <laughs> not physically find you. <laughs> Lay it on us, brother. <laughs> well, you can find me on social media. Twitter is at Richard underscore Jakes. Uh, Instagram is Richard Jakes Composer. And then I'm on Facebook. Um, this year, I'm going to be starting a new project later in the year, which obviously I can't talk about yet. <laughs> the old NBA. Um, we've got some more Guardians things coming up. Um, the, I think, uh, obviously, the soundtrack's available. The, uh, the vinyl will be shipping soon i believe from from monday records there's a great vinyl thing going on there so there's still a lot of interest in the game which we're just supporting now um supporting the community with any questions and things like that and just generally kind of starting to think about what i'm going to be doing next the the style of score i'm going to be writing again it's nothing i can talk about too much but it's just it's going to be a kind of slightly different sound to to what i've done recently so that'll be pretty exciting to do i'm really looking forward to that um gen generally yeah keeping on playing games and um hanging out with some of the community going to be visiting some some game conferences soon and uh yeah just in, enjoying it love it and and congratulations on that best soundtrack at the gaming trends awards as well uh yes big well well earned for sure because it's a beautiful beautiful soundtrack beautiful game i mean yes. everything about it. again it's the game that i didn't know that i needed in my life and i'm so glad that it came out i really am it, i mean it, it it completely opened up my eyes and and i have a new love for the guardians of the galaxies they're they're that group and the struggles and and the music couldn't have better complimented such an amazing story and game so thank you oh no thank you i mean uh, i i feel the same and i've heard many gamers say they didn't know they needed this game but you know it's just so <laughs> great that they've been been enjoying it so that's fantastic so yeah thank you thanks very much for having me 100 absolutely 100 i agree I, you know just just doubling back to what you said richard when you said people really just had to play the game completely agree because mm -hmm. once you play it it just it blows you away and ju just the fact that i mean i think ryan and i would both agree on this biggest pleasant surprise of of the year and one of our favorite games plus thank you for helping bring mass effect to the world too so i just <laughs> two of my favorite yes. franchises you've you've been uh have played a, a big part of so Awesome. Thank uh, you for yeah. that. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend? Well, okay. I know what you got going on. More, more Pokemon, of course. <laughs> my, it's consuming my time, and I am here for it. Uh, it is also my birthday on Sunday, so I'm going to just kind of kick back, relax. Yes. And I also do have a bright session on the 7th, if you're listening to this early Come join. It's nice. fun. It's been a lot of fun. Ryan and I did one last month already. Time flies. Yep. <laughs> so hopefully I'll see you guys there. Uh, but more Pokemon and this... It's going to consume my life. I'm ready. <laughs> what do you got going on, Ryan? You know, I, I'm, I'm still kind of up in the air, obviously doing my normal things. However, we are we are officially now in the month of February. Oh, so get them get them wallets ready, y'all, because the, the spicy game releases start now. Um, I'm, I'm excited for seafood. That's coming. That's around the corner. Obviously, uh, Forbidden West. I actually need to go back and finish the DLC uh, before I move forward with 
with that game, but obviously I'm going to, I'm going to be playing that day one. That's a day one for me as well. So I'm kind of idly sitting by and not getting into anything too heavy. Cause I know I've got some stories right around the corner that I need to dedicate some time to. So probably just chilling out and, and, and not doing a, a, a ton. I do have an announcement uh, for stream on Thursday though. So uh, uh, check the tweeters Ooh. and all that good stuff. Speaking of which, check out our tweeters at land parties pod at Lucas Egan or at Smitty two, four, four, seven. Again, thank you guys so much for joining us. We appreciate you guys. We hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week and you know what it is. We love your faces.